So there's a, there's this little thing that I discovered on Kotaku a few days ago, and and it was it was just so perfect for remaster that I really wanted to share it. Um, so we talked about the uh, community of fan made games last year, I think in episode thirty five of remaster, um, and we talked about how just how how much people can can spend their lives and their so much of their time modifying games and and coming up with crazy new ideas for games that do not exist even though they are based on actual you know series such as Sonic or Super Mario or Metroid um, and one of these crazy modifications that I came across this week is a ROM hack for Pokemon Fire Red so I think it's the game from the from the GBA and it's a it's a hack called uh, Dragon Ball Z Team Training. So what the, this game does is it replaces all of the Pokemon from the game with characters from Dragon Ball. Um, it allows you to um, it allows you to uh, create your own team of uh, of characters that you can train and you can fight other characters and you can you can collect all of the dragon balls and you can fight uh, you know the elite four as being replaced with the, the, the with the four gods of dragon ball um and and i read the interview with the developer of kotaku and it was just such a heartwarming story of this guy from friends i think uh that he always dreamt he had this dream of um, one day making a dragon ball game that worked like pokemon and so by uh by combining assets that he found online and asking other um other people to make 2d sprites for the dragon ball characters he basically learned his way around uh, you know uh i think game maker or these other rom hacking tools and he modified the entire game game and now you can i think you can download the rum hack and there's also people selling uh custom uh cartridges on etsy <laughs> with the with the pokemon logo and the dragon ball logo together on the same gba cartridge uh it's just it's a perfect example of um the creativity that some people can can showcase when they're given the tools to modify something, even though this is completely illegal, and I, I have no idea why. You know, I think it's Bandai who wants the rights to Dragon Ball, and or Nintendo haven't gotten in touch with this guy. But still, it's a pretty remarkable example of rom, rom hacking and and fan made uh, community games. Well, you know, it shows a tremendous amount of love to me. That's what it shows. Yeah. Because these people are not going to make a fortune out of it. And of course, as you rightly say, there's every possibility that they're going to get pulled up legally for this. But if I was at one of these larger corporations and I saw this going on, I'd bring them on board. Yes. <laughs> Which is what, what Sega did with the... Um... Oh, right with the with the Sonic, what's what's it called Sonic Mania, uh, the the 2D uh, game that launched last year, and I don't remember the name of the developer, but he used to be one of the most prominent. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, was it, hackers was it Chris in White? The, yeah, I think that's his name. I can't maybe. remember. Yeah, but we we talked about it, and it was such a great story of somebody who used to to do this stuff in his free time, and eventually got a job at Sega. <laughs> so that's amazing. Almost, it's Christian Whitehead. Yes, there you go. There you go. Great <laughs> job. Great I hope job. He forgives me. Um, so th- this is a you know just just a link that I wanted to share, and it will be in the show notes for this episode. But now, Shahid, uh, I have three words for you. 
No Man's Sky. <laughs> uh, three of my favorite words in the video game lexicon. What what a story! So uh, as a for context, in case you haven't kept up with video game news at all, um, No Man's Sky is this uh, this game that launched in 2016, two years ago, uh, on PS4 uh, and PC. I think and I think That's maybe right. the PC version came out a few weeks later. Anyway, it came out on PS4 in 2016. Widely anticipated, super hyped game that in its first version for some people was somewhat of a disappointment because it didn't didn't live up to the insane you know insanely crazy hype that you know some people had some wild expectations for this game and what followed was um a sad uh series of threats for the developers at hello games and and you know just you know, the kind of criticism and personal attacks that I've never seen on Twitter or Reddit before. And it was one of the worst examples of the current gaming community uh, reacting negatively to a game. But No Man's Sky, the developers at Hello Games, uh, you know, um, and the lead, uh, the lead, I guess he's the CEO of Hello Games and, and you know, the, the, the lead figure of the team, Sean Murray, uh, they put their heads down. They continue to work on No Man's Sky. They released update after update, um, trying to fix uh, the problems that the press noted about the first version of No Man's Sky and bringing in new features and you know new tools, new new quests, new uh, in design changes for the inventory, for example, which I remember was one of the most criticized aspects of the game. Um, and they released these updates. One was called Pathfinder. Then there was Atros Rises. Um, they continued to work without getting too much in the spotlight in terms of press interviews or, you know, hyping up the game again. That was until um, last month, I think, when the first details of the 1.5 update of No Man's Sky started circulating. And finally, this new... this, this 1.5 update to No Man's Sky uh, called Next launched uh, earlier this week and it is an amazing update. It's the biggest update to the game uh, in two years and um, I think it, it highlights such a unique approach by Hello Games that I, that I wanted to talk with you about, Shahid. Um, let me give you a bit of a recap of all the features that have changed here. Um, no Man's Sky is now a full multiplayer game so you can invite other people people to join you in your quest to explore the universe or you can join other people you can you can uh voice chat uh, if you're on pc you can also use text chat um so it's a full multiplayer game there's unlimited base building so you've always been able to build a base in no man's sky as a sort of a shelter and then expand the base but now you can build anywhere on any planet uh there's hundreds of new parts that you can use uh you can build a teleporter anywhere so you can navigate easily between teleporters anywhere in in the game and you can own multiple bases on multiple planets across multiple <laughs> galaxies across multiple star systems so it's pretty pretty amazing uh 
you can comment uh, Frider Armadas. So entire <laughs> entire uh, frigates, you can you can totally comment, and you can you can you know just sit on the deck and and you know watch these huge ships uh, do stuff for you. Whether it's uh, getting into fights or you know having a having a sort of trade type of uh, commercial tasks. Um, there's a graphics overhaul. Uh, the textures have been improved. There's so much more detail everywhere. Uh, I want to call out the clouds. They're fully volumetric clouds. They look really good. Um, <laughs> you can play in third person. This is I love this change because I've never been a fan of the first person perspective, but now you can play in third person both on foot and the spaceship. Um, you can personalize your character's appearance. There's a new appearance editor tool that you can use to customize your helmet, your spacesuit, your boots, your backpack, everything. Uh, I played around with this stuff last night. It was super fun. Um, and tons of other features uh, like um, enhancements to the visor, um, a redesign of the UI, so all of the the little bits of content and information that you see on the visor, uh, you know, in the four corners of the screen. Um, there's also a community aspect to this uh, in that... Um, this update, first of all, is free for everybody. So if you bought No Man's Sky two years ago, I own No Man's Sky on disc, and I put the disc in my PS4, and I got the update for free. Uh, no m- microtransactions, so no loot boxes, nothing of that type of stuff. But also, the the developers at Hello Games, they're launching this new community website. I think it's called the Galactic Atlas Community. Um, that basically, it it highlights regional hubs in the, in the No Man's sky shared universe um it's got some useful and fascinating stats about uh, you know how many planets people have discovered all the galaxies that have been discovered and also there's going to be community events now we don't have many details about this yet but hello games has committed to being more in touch with the with the community going forward and they they plan to offer uh regular uh rewards and customizations as part of these community events so, I started a new playthrough of No Man's Sky uh, because I wanted to get the full experience and, man, it, such an incredible update. It's basically like an entire new, new game for me. I wanted to ask you, um, do you think we've ever seen in the... And this is going to sound a bit hyperbolic, but I think that game such as No Man's Sky, I think it justifies this question. Do you think we've ever seen anything like this? Uh, besides MMOs, you know, this uh, something like World of Warcraft that, that is still around and still changing. But in terms of a game that can be played offline by a single person, do you think we've ever seen this kind of evolution of a company that releases a game and two years later... It's the same game. It's the same copy. I have the same disc from two years ago, but it's basically an entirely new game. Well, I don't recall one. I don't recall another game doing this. We have to bear in mind that this could really only apply to the digital age because pre-digital era, this would have been, uh, this would have meant releasing a brand new disc and giving right. it for free to everyone who'd bought the original <laughs> right. disc, right? Yeah. You can't imagine that happening. And if you think about the timeline for a sequel to a AAA game, two years is not unreasonable. No. It is yeah. effectively a completely new game. It is a bigger step forward. No Man's Sky 1 to 1.5 is a bigger step forward than Destiny 1 to Destiny 2, in my opinion. Not mm-hmm. in absolute terms, obviously, but certainly in percentage terms, in relative terms. 
it is effectively a completely new game. You could make, you know, there there are people who have been making this point that this is a game that No Man's Sky should have been from the beginning. But mm. I think that's a really tedious attack, a tedious and uninformed attack. You can see that I've not really held my uh, feelings on this situation back because I know what's gone into this game. And I know the commitment made by the team. I know the promises made by Sean before and during, and then obviously after the release of the original game. And yes, it was massively overhyped. I don't think anybody could control the machine once it started to, to get out there. And let's face it, it was a very unusual situation in which a really small developer was shooting for a triple A level experience. It's something I always wanted to achieve with a small developer, and it's something Sean always wanted to achieve, which is why he called this project Skyscraper when he started. It was the ability for a small team to scale up to achieve the same impact as a triple A game. Now, here's an interesting thing. Perception and reality are, of course, in this digital world, usually poles apart, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is sad but true. But people talk about refunds. They were actually remarkably low, both on PC and PS4, which I know will surprise some people. But there was an awful lot of customer satisfaction with the first release of the game. I was satisfied with the first release. I wouldn't say that it fulfilled all the potential, but then I knew that everything that Sean was talking about publicly wasn't going to be available in the launch version. And I don't think that necessarily got promoted. It was said, but it was not promoted. It was not picked up on. You know, when people start to run with the story, they make the story what it is. And then sooner or later, you're having to batten down the hatches and weather the most absurd and disgraceful storm of abuse that any developer has yeah. faced in a very, very long time. I mean, the police were involved. There yep. were serious threats, credible threats. And it's just disgusting that people should behave that way. Absolutely disgusting. Nobody should have to suffer that, let alone a game developer comprised of a very small group. And they have been working absolutely crazy hours. I mean, the team was practically broken by the time it came out. They were trying to do the kind of work that would normally take a team five to ten times their size to do. And they pulled it off. Of course, there was disappointment. But, you know, I, I want to recall, if you don't mind, a meeting I had with Sean. Oh, please. Yeah. Very soon after, you know, there obviously some things are, I, I won't repeat. Um, it, it's only, I, th I think, the decent thing to do not to re repeat everything. But there are some things that I think are okay to say because they have panned out. So this is a meeting to talk about the kind of, um deal that sean and hello games wanted and i met with sean and his lawyer and then it was a really good frank open discussion about the kind of things that could be offered and the kind of things that um sean and hello games would expect but i asked sean to describe the vision of the game to me how he wanted it to play out and some of the things he told me back then this was you know years before the game came out came to pass in a way that, frankly, when I look back now, I think the vision 
and the perseverance and strength of will and discipline that it took to hold true to that vision and to see that far in the future, I've not seen it before. So some of the things he talked about, he didn't want to have paid updates or, <laughs> you know, uh, in-game uh, purchases. He wanted to do updates because his belief, and, you know, he, I, I hope if I've not recalled this properly in any way that he or somebody from Hello Games corrects me, but this is my recall of the meeting, that he wanted to make sure that every time there was an update, that it would be delightful for existing owners of the game and it would keep bringing in new players. And he was very clear that the kind of multiplayer there would be on day one would be really abstract. You know, it's like a really notional thing. It was an event that was going to be so rare that he doubted it would ever happen. He didn't have any idea how it would be handled. He was describing it like a programmer. Yeah? Like mm -hmm. one of the best programmers in the world. Don't get me wrong. He is one of the greatest programmers in the world. But he's also visionary in my mind. And the other thing he said was, yes, eventually there will be this, there will be that. And he reeled off a list of things, which I won't repeat. And they came out when he said they were going to came out. And he said that he wanted to keep a six-monthly update cadence. I think he stuck to that. Yeah, I think Which so. is spectacular. And, you know, the, the way he handled the absolutely outrageous level of hatred while it was going on, after it was going on, would have broken many people. And the dignity with which he handled it and the reservation and resolve in his response to continue building the game. So here was the thing. He said he wanted to work on the game for several years. I won't say how many. I can say several because he gave me a number. And the reason I can say several is because it's been two. So that <laughs> is the unfolding of part of the promise. But, you know, there's even now there's more to come. And no matter what anybody says, he stuck true to that. And the game has continued to improve. And it might now be the game that I would say less than one-tenth one of the people who bought it expected. Maybe even less than that as a proportion. It might be that now. But let's say you bought the game and you, and you were unhappy with it. And remember, this is a minority. Despite all of the online hatred, this is an absolute minority. Right. Right. Let's say you hung on to it because you were disappointed because you didn't get the multiplayer you thought there was going to be. And that's perfectly reasonable. You have every right if that's what you were expecting. And maybe the communications just got out of hand because they did. You know, once people start to pick things up, you know how it works in the digital era. You just can't put that genie back in the bottle. Yeah. I mean, so, it was on TV in, in the US. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah so it was crazy. just crazy. I had never seen anything like it. I mean, of course, I was... I was both delighted and awestruck and scared at the same time. <laughs> I say both. I mean, that's three things, but you know, so everything seems to have worked out the way he wanted it to work out. And those people who hung on now have the game that perhaps they expected first time round. But the other thing is the vast majority of the people who got the game were happy with the game. The refund level was extremely low. There are, of course, some people who had... You know, if you talk about a graded level of disappointment, I would say that the people who knew that the messaging of the game was for them were happy with the game day one, still are. I know lots and lots and lots of people like that in my 
you know, in my circle of friends, never mind out in the wider community, who bought it because it was the kind of game that appealed to me, my generation, that kind mm-hmm. of sci-fi, that kind of lonely pioneering spirit, the kind yeah. that appeals to introverts like me, like Jeff Minter, like Rob Fearon, you know, these these kind of people are are the ones who loved the game. And there are dozens of other people like that in my just in my circle of friends, right? <laughs> Not in the wider world who loved that experience, but people wanted more and he promised them more and he gave them more. What more can, what more can a team like that do? I mean, we keep talking about Sean Murray and a friend of mine um, made an excellent point the other day because uh, Sean said on Twitter, something along the lines of uh, hello games is not just me, you know, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever. And my friend made the point, my friend, uh, David, um, he made the point that, well, since you took pretty much all of the brickbats, it's only fair that you should get a disproportionate amount of the praise from this <laughs> update, which I guess makes a kind of uh, twisted sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the the value, this is a very, very long answer to your original question, the value provided in this update two years down the line is staggering, absolutely right. staggering. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've started, like I said, I started playing again and it's if it was the kind of game that it was hard to put down before even more so now um i i started playing last night and suddenly it was 4 a.m and i didn't even notice because i was so, so i was basically lost in the game and i and i wanted to keep going um but uh, i'm 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 generally surprised and, and curious to know how this is possible to have this kind of culture in a inside a small team, despite all of the vicious and horrible attacks from people, how can you continue to work with such a passion and just keep going no matter what people online do? Uh, you know, in terms of attacks that are also reflected in real life, because as you said, you know, the police was involved. Um, so we're talking about actual credible threats um how can you just keep going and not just keep going you know with bug fixes and basic updates but with this kind of commitment and this kind of schedule it just seems incredible to me well you know it kind of reminds me of a much much bigger version of what life was like um for me and my team when we started to do indie stuff for the vita um because People felt like they were promised AAA and here was a guy from nowhere just banging on about indie games on the Vita. And they felt like they were getting conned. And of course, our point was that, you know, you you guys, you got nothing. This is something. And, you know, there was so much abuse. And some days I was handling hundreds of messages in one day and responding to as many as I could. And nearly everyone was negative. A lot of developers I spoke to were negative. But the thing that kept us going was we knew we were right. (laughs) We knew we were right. We were utterly passionate about the work we were doing. We had a complete sense of mission. And bit by bit, we were beginning to see results. So I think in the case of Hello Games, it's not going to be massively different. Obviously, the scale of what they had to tolerate was much more concentrated and much more vicious. I had it clearly a lot easier. But they have 
a visionary CEO. They have visionaries in the team who are really excellently shielded by the CEO. They've made really, really good money from the initial release. But, you know, if you look at professional footballers, look at, take a look at the goalkeeper for Liverpool Football Club. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Carrius. Uh, he is a, an extremely wealthy 24-year-old, but he's showing visible signs of depression because of the amount of online abuse he's had to put up with. It takes a strength of character that most people simply could not muster. I'm not saying it's out of their reach, but I'm saying they, most people can't muster that because it takes something special. But Sean is made of special stuff. And he was able to withstand it. And while doing so, held fast to that vision he shared with me in that meeting in South London all those years ago. They, they stuck by it. They started to see the success despite the hatred and the vitriol and the intense media fallout over the, over the first release. And they stuck with it. They stuck with it. They stuck with it. They had the mission. They had the vision. They had the purpose. And they were getting results. They were getting financial results. They were getting excellent feedback from the community. They were getting supportive feedback. And as a result, they kept going. And I think anybody else who goes through a storm of negativity, I think they would share similar characteristics. It's interesting that you mentioned the community because I also think that that has to be one of the key factors that have played into the um, the fact that No Man's Sky still exists and is still amazing and getting better. Um, because I I spend uh, you know I, I visit the the Reddit uh, the subreddit for No Man's Sky and. It is packed with people who are super invested into the game. We're talking about folks that have put hundreds of hours, uh, some even thousands of hours into the game um, because it's so massive and they still haven't discovered uh, everything that the game has to offer. Um, And now that Hello Games is sort of trying to recommit to the community and to actually have uh, benefits for members of the community in terms of items and rewards and community events, it seems to me like a very smart idea to leverage this aspect of there's also good people that play No Man's Sky. It's ju- it's not just about the people who attacked us and the people who, who you know who, who sent threats two years ago. There's a good aspect of the community that we want to leverage, and we're going to do so with a new website, with you know, with 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 uh, events on a regular basis. Um, and we're going to do this with multiplayer also, because I think that that's, has to be one of the most interesting changes to No Man's Sky, the fact that you can now play with other people. Um, so this, this new community aspect, I think um, it's sort of, you know, there's a, I feel like there's a difference between games that, la- because multi- No Man's Sky could have launched with multiplayer years ago. Uh, you know, at launch, it could have it been, uh, you know, a multiplayer-only galaxy exploration game. Um, instead, it's, it's, it launched this as a single-player, as you said, this lonely experience, but now you can also share the loneliness with other people, if you will. Um, and I think it's fascinating that, uh, that it's growing from this single-player, lonely type of gameplay to something more communal, more shared, and, and inside the game and outside the game with the, with the community stuff. And you know what? It was always in the plan. 
That's incredible. Like this is the scary thing. That conversation we had, the roadmap that he laid out, it's exactly how it's how it was meant to be. It's exactly as he described it. But the one thing that I don't think he expected, uh, and the one thing that I don't think I expected, but we both maybe kind of thought might happen if all the stars aligned, was the degree of success the game has enjoyed. Hmm. Yeah, because it, it's especially now with version 1.5, I think it has become one of the, and I know that it's available on, on PC and Xbox now too, but I think No Man's Sky is associated with the PS4. Uh, because it, it was a peer, you know, it launched on PS4, and I think there's a strong association in in people's minds between No Man's Sky and PlayStation 4. It's one of the defining games of this generation. For better or worse, it is one of the games that I will remember as part of this console cycle. And um, I mean, me, I you know, when it launched two years ago, everybody wanted to play No Man's Sky, um, and. There's a, there's a point that I wanted to discuss with you also about about this game. I don't know if you got the same feeling, but I was playing No Man's Sky uh, a few nights ago, and I got this strong Metroid vibe from it in a way that I didn't get two years ago. Um, it just feels like it's achieving the same degree of extreme polish and extreme sense of loneliness but also exploration of a universe there there that was there before you as in the best metroid games but at a much 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 bigger scale that is a scary thing for you to be saying i know right i was i, I was playing the game i was like man this does kind of feel like metroid but it's bigger than metroid <laughs> <laughs> Might have something to do with the way it looks in third person. I think so. I think so. And um, I mean, I I look forward to to playing hundreds of hours in No Man's Sky now because I kind of gave up on the game um, two years ago. Um, I you know I, I I didn't like certain aspects of the game. I played a bunch. I played a few dozen hours, but then I sort of gave up on it. And so I decided to start new. And I want to. And now it just feels like the game that I want to keep playing um, because it's, you know, uh, it's a game about crafting and exploration and shooting and spaceships. And I don't have that kind of affinity with the, with the, with the classic sci-fi as maybe your generation does. But I feel like in, in this next uh, version, the... And the stars have sort of aligned for <laughs> my t- and no pun intended, but really it does feel like like the type of game that I would enjoy, like I would enjoy a Metroid game or a Zelda game, because the change the, the changes that have been put into No Man's Sky 1.5 are, you know, from inventory management to the UI to the third person, this feels like a whole new game, and I. It almost I, I I know that it's the same No Man's Sky, but the moment that I started playing, I felt like, yeah, this is so much better. And I know that saying this is the game that should have launched two years ago, it's not fair. But this update allows me to start a new playthrough and enjoy it much, much more than the original version. Which I guess it's sort of it's it's a testament to the to the plans and the, you know the the crazy genius of Hello Games. Um 
Well, I have another question. For, oh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. You know, no, you made a very good point there. And I just wanted to jump in on that. And that is that you, you say, well, you know, some people will say it's the game they'd, um, they'd wanted to see two years ago. But, you know, I, I, I guess the point is it, it's here now. You know, it, it wasn't there two years ago, but you were able to see a sneak peek of, of it. And to have that experience now, the way you're describing it to me, I mean, you're comparing, are you listening to yourself? You're comparing it to Zelda. You're comp mm -hmm. comparing it to Metroid. It, it's practically a reinvention. Hmm. Should we talk about our friends? Yes, please do. Um, we have another topic and um, that we wanted to go over today. Uh, but before we jump onto that topic, Shahid, why don't you tell us everything about our friends at Squarespace? This episode of Remaster is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store. Maybe you want to create a portfolio. Maybe you want to create a blog. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They'll let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month. But you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com forward slash remaster. When you decide to sign up, please use the offer code remaster to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for remaster. Once again, that's squarespace.com forward slash remaster and the code remaster to get a 10% discount off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So there's a rumor going around that Microsoft is working on the next generation of Xbox consoles, but not just one console, multiple consoles. And the rumor uh, says that one of them will be a lower-priced uh, streaming-only console. Uh, and these uh, consoles, so the next generation Xbox is codenamed Scarlet, and these were apparently codenamed uh, Scarlet Cloud, will only support streaming games from Microsoft's uh, upcoming game streaming service, which a company has confirmed they're working on. At E3, they said, yes, we are working on a game streaming service that will allow you to play games on consoles, PC, and even phones. But apparently, Microsoft also wants to sell customers um, more affordable and, of course, less powerful uh, piece of hardware, less powerful because it, it doesn't need to have an actual powerful CPU and GPU inside. It only needs to stream games. That said, Microsoft is apparently taking a unique approach to this, and they are building this box that it will include... Um, 
a low amount of local computation for tasks such as controller input and image processing and collision detection, all of the things that uh, are basically essential if you want to reduce latency when you're streaming a game from a cloud service. Um, so this um, Xbox version of the you know this uh, streaming only new xbox will have some kind of dedicated hardware inside to um, make sure that the typical problems involved with game streaming are uh, you know better than other platforms essentially uh, and of course this rumor follows the uh, the another report that we uh, discussed a few weeks ago of Google building um, a similar uh, game streaming uh, device, uh, a game streaming service that will allow you to basically play console games in a Google Chrome tab. Um, so my question for you, Shahid, is why is everybody getting into this idea of game streaming now? Uh, I know that Sony has been has been uh, experimenting and and you know working with this stuff for quite some time with PlayStation Now, but it appears to me as if there's an increased interest by different by multiple companies in game streaming, and why Microsoft making a separate version of the new Xbox? Well. It's a good question, and thinking about it from both a business and technical perspective, you start to ask yourself several questions. The first is, why would you have a low-tech next-generation console? Why would you not have the game available locally? What problem does that solve? Well, the first problem is one of distribution, because Large games nowadays take a long time to download and a long time to update. And having a game of 50 gigabytes plus and having that available in the cloud means that you don't have to wait for it to download. You don't have to order a disk. You have access to it straight away. That's the first advantage. Hmm. The second advantage is that if as a company, you have just established a new business model dependent on a steady stream of excellent content, probably sourced from studios you've recently purchased at great cost. You need a service with which to fill that product. It's not such a big step to imagine that that service forms a Netflix-style model for content provision to customers. So that's another problem solved for Microsoft and to a lesser extent to their partners, which is why they're going heavily first party, because I think they appreciate that third party support is going to be a bit more slow in coming as a result of this business model. Because of course, the, what this gives Microsoft is a greater control over the customer because the content has to be provisioned to them Yes, of course, it's similar to how it is at the moment, but once you have it on your system, once you're able to download a game onto your system, there's a completely different transaction going on there. If the game is never on your system, then your access to that game can be shut off at any point. But here's the other thing. It means you can also get access to a whole bunch of other things. What's the downside? Well, the downside is the same as it's always been, the same as it was for PlayStation Now, and the same as it's been for every other platform that has tried to do this. 
broadband is still not fast. Broadband is still not ubiquitous in the sense that the kind of speed that you need to make motion to photon less than a laggy, unplayable experience is not there in a lot of territories. Never mind, not in a lot of territories. It's not available in all of the US, even if we're just to stick to the US. So who would buy something like this? Now, I guess the first thing to think about is if you had a low-cost console, say half the cost of a console you're selling now, what would your competition be? You're now talking about Apple TV territory. And those kind of customers are not playing games anyway. The people who buy Apple TV might play games as a tertiary activity. But people who buy a tiny Xbox, a streaming Xbox, what kind of customers are they? Well, perhaps they're second customers. Perhaps they're, or perhaps they're um, other family members. Perhaps they have one of these boxes in a spare room. But even then, I don't see how this is going to be fantastic. So I'm kind of suspicious because I just don't think that the experience, especially for something, I mean, you'll never be able to do a game like Street Fighter. <laughs> you'll never be able to do uh, a fighting game. A football game like FIFA is going to be very hard to pull off because you need a reasonably good response. Anything that runs at a high frame rate is not going to be responsive, except in some very, very mm. special cases. And no matter what, people appreciate a consistent time between what they're doing with their controller and what they're seeing on the screen. Now, others might argue, well, you know, with multiplayer, you have lag anyway. Yes, you do, but not on your screen. On your screen, you might see uh, uh, the other players lagging or glitching because they're not their positions aren't being updated. But it doesn't very, happen very often because most of the processing is happening locally. And there are excellent algorithms to cope with this scenario. So the other thing it allows is the... Um, the scenario where a lot more players can play at the same time. And for Google, I think their play on this is just integration with YouTube. Their business model right. is likely, likely to be very much one of um, the synergy between YouTube and um, their game streaming service. And, you know, they have the streamers there, right? So the streamers are on YouTube already. And then gamers are going to be on whatever this service is. And I think that kind of thing is a little more interesting. So I'm, I'm a little bit doubtful about this play. But I will look back at the history and point out that in the history of technology, convenience nearly always trumps quality. And mm. it's why, of course, MP3 and AAC and every other modern compressed digital format beat out CD and why audiophile listening of music has become a really niche activity. So to my mind, this thing by Xbox is a mainstream play because they have been stung 
by going for the mainstream using a diluted device with the Xbox One when it was launched. It's not that now, of course. Now it's very much a gaming device. And they don't want to get caught out by that kind of mistake again. So if they're after a mainstream gaming audience, my guess is they think that lowering the price and giving everybody access to good quality games as part of a subscription service is a better way to go. Let me ask you a final question. Um, and because I totally agree with you. I think it's going to be a mainstream play and especially the point about convenience uh, being more important than fidelity. I think it's, it, uh, it's been proven true time and time again. Uh, but let me ask you this. Do you see a future where consoles are dedicated devices for highly intensive t- applications? such as VR, the traditional console, I mean, and everything else is just a streaming box? This is an age-old question. Hmm. And it's an excellent question that has never really had a satisfactory answer. So when I say it's an age-old question, that's a compliment, because you've asked the, the question that everybody in computing has tried to answer for the last 40 years, maybe 50 years, and have not been able to come to terms with that. What's the best model? Is it a local client-server model? Is it a distributed client-server model? Is it a completely distributed peer-to-peer model? Or is it something else? And every time computing resources become more miniaturized, people find another way of exploiting them and demanding more. So I think that unless we start to get quantum computing working on this kind of... uh, scenario like with games and media and so on and i don't know if it's suitable because i know very little about quantum computing other than the holy grail is to completely eliminate any kind of delay (laughs) and to smash moore's law to smithereens but if that happens then of course the whole computing locally or remotely thing goes away the real reason for doing this is control of content that's the first thing and the second second reason you would do client server is to reduce the amount of time it takes for content to get to the client of course the other reason is cost but even then cost is not really the decisive factor people who like this kind of content love to play on good quality consoles they don't mind spending the money i don't think selling consoles has been a problem for either microsoft or playstation or even nintendo for that matter you know let's face it they're able to because because the switch is not cheap we're used to nintendo selling consoles for less than 290 pounds or whatever it is these days. So I, I don't think cost is ever going to be the issue. And the other issues might just turn off, turn off consumers and demands on computing are going to keep on increasing as the software gets better and better and better. Yes, we're moving towards wireless, so that's important, but it almost doesn't matter anymore where the compute resources are, except in video games where motion to photon is still a big issue. And until the infrastructure is great, it's always going to be an issue. 